so I'm, my name's Jonathan Oliphant, I'm from Northwoods. Um, I'm just going to share like two minutes and then I'll get started. Uh, I have a wife, Mary, we've been married 22 years, we have three kids, and um, we're looking forward to seeing what God's doing in this community. We've been here about 18 months and uh, trying to get things rebuilt at Northwoods. Uh, it's a great place, and really good board members. Um, when we got there, a lot was in disrepair, so we spent the last 18 months just trying to fix a lot of things and get it ready and operable again. And so, by God's grace, we've been able to make some pretty good strides in that. Uh, we still have a lot of repairs and things to do, but we're getting there. Um, we've had some donations from the community that have really helped us along the way, and we appreciate that for sure. Um, our goal there is to just see Christ, you know, preach to the kids. We, we pray that we will be able to not just have them as a place where they can come and get away from tech or get out of nature, but where they can encounter God. And that, that is our truly our heart's desire. So be praying for us this next year, um, especially next summer that we are able to gear up and provide camps that are glorifying God and that kids will get involved. We live in a time where it's harder and harder to get young people involved in the things of God, and I think there's many reasons for that, but I know that through prayer, um, we can see lives change. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, now I'll go ahead and start. So today's topic would be, again, I was asked what the topic was earlier this week, and um, Luke 17, and then Luke 17, verse 20, we see that um, when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, that Jesus gives them some answers. And so that's just kind of the context is he's sitting around with his disciples, the Pharisees are asking him questions. And he's talking about the end of days. Um, and he tells them all these things that will happen. But I want to focus on just a few verses. And then we'll go to Genesis 19. Starting in verse 26, it says, And in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage. And the day that Noah entered into the ark, the flood came and destroyed them. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, and they sold, they planted, and they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man will be revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop, and his stuff in the house, let him not come to take it away. He does in the field, let him not likewise return. And then we have this verse, remember Lot's wife. 
that's a, that's a sobering warning. And there's what I want to look at next is in chapter 19 of Genesis. And I think you guys know the story of Abraham pleading and saying if there's 50 righteous people, 100 righteous people, 20, 10, then will you spare Sodom? And there weren't. And so God sends his two angels, messengers, to save Lot for Abraham's sake, right? And so we're going to skip all that. And we're going to go down to verse 12. Um, the angels have already come. They've already proclaimed judgment. They're warning Lot. And the men said to Lot, Hast thou here any besides thy son-in-laws and thy sons? Or do you have sons or daughters? And whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because of the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-laws, which had married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he seemed to them as one who mocked unto his sons-in-laws. They did not take him serious. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy daughters, which are here, lest you be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon him, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters. And the Lord, being merciful to him and his family, and they were brought forth and set him without the city. And it came to pass that when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And uh, that just kind of reminds me of Christ as the rock. He's our firm foundation, the mountain. And like when we run to him from the wrath to come, we are saved. But we see Lot didn't go quite all the way. Lot said unto them in verse 18, Oh no, not so, my Lord. Behold now, thy servant has found sight, uh, grace in thy sight. And thou hast magnified the mercy which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold now, this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for which thou hast spoken. So this city of Zohar was destined to be overturned, but because Lot goes there, it is not. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou come thither. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zohar, and the sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zohar. And the Lord rained down upon Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew these cities and all the plains, and all the inhabitants of the cities. But, in verse 26, but his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. So the thing that I want to focus on today, we see Jesus admonishing his, his disciples, and saying, remember Lot's wife. And it, it is easy to pick her out. You, you see her, and you know she's probably not. She may be living in the church, living around godly Abraham, hearing the teachings, hearing the sermons, acting it out, living in a home that is teaching the right things, and yet she herself is not saved. 
we have no evidence in Scripture that, that she is a believer. So it's easy sometimes to look at Christ's words and just be like, well, I'm not like that. And that's true. If you're here and you're born again, you are not in that same category. Thank God, right? But the person I want to look at today is Lot. I want us to remember Lot and remember and take a warning. I hope that today we're able to examine ourselves using Scripture as the lens. Um, sometimes Scripture can be like Nathan the prophet when he comes to, you know, sometimes we see our sins plain as day and we're like, behold, I'm that man, you know, and God convicts. But sometimes we need the lens of Scripture or someone from the outside come and show us like Nathan did, where he points at David and says, thou art the man. It's us. So I'm, I'm praying that as we go through this today, that we don't look at other people and judge them, but that we look at our own hearts. As I was preparing this sermon, oh, man, there's so many things in my own life that I realized, you know, where they're looking. It was as if Nathan the prophet's right there. It's like, thou art the man. You need to change. You have things in your my life that I have to change. And so we're going to kind of delve into this. My first question, I have several points that I would like to deal with. Um, I'll just tell you the five points and then we'll get into it. The first point is who, what was Lot? The second point that we'll deal with is what the text says about Lot. And then what were the reasons of his lingering? It's really astounding that in the moment of judgment, after warning, that he sits and he lingers at the threshold of destruction. It's, it's just mind-boggling, really. The fourth point I want to make today that we'll discuss is what's the fruit of his lingering. And then the fifth point was what was Lot actually? So the first thing I want to do is clarify. Before we decide who we are in this picture, are we like Lot's wife? Are we like righteous Lot? We have to look at scripture to judge ourselves, but the main thing that we have to decide is, are we in the end times? Are we in a situation that's similar to Lot? And I would say that yes, we are in scripture. I can say with 100% accuracy that we're in the end times. Why do I say that? Because Hebrews 1-2 says that we're in the last days. From Christ on, this is automatically the end times. First John says the same thing, that we are in the last times. At Jesus' time, you know, at the disciples' times, they're in the last days. So we need to look at the scripture and take the warnings of scripture seriously, realizing that we are in perilous times, as Timothy says, in the last days, perilous times shall come. And so if we are living like they did in Sodom, we need to know, are we in line with what God has to say for us? Are we living righteously? If we are living righteously and we are good, are we lingering? Are we stagnating in our Christianity? Um, and so we'll go over a few questions to kind of help us assess ourselves and judge ourselves. Like the scripture says, to examine ourselves to see whether we are still in the faith or whether we are living actively in the faith. Um, so we see, what are the sins of Sodom? A lot of times we look at Sodom and Gomorrah and it gets put up all over by certain churches of like just the sexual sins. And those are grievous and they're, they're bad for your soul, for sure. But what was the true sin of Sodom? We, we find out in other scriptures what the sin of Sodom was. Um, if we go to Psalms 10.4, we see that in um, Luke it says that they were living life as usual. And when Jesus comes back, 
they will be like in the days of Sodom where they're eating, they're drinking, they're giving in marriage, they're doing business. Life is going on as usual. And that's the point I want to make. It's not always just this objectified sin that you're looking at. There may not be active sin in your life. But are you going through the motions? Are you just living life as usual? And if we go to Psalm, I believe it's 10.4, we kind of see this same concept of what God views as wicked. going to read the first four verses. Why standeth thou afar off, O Lord? Why hide thyself in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in their own devices that they have imagined. The wicked boasteth his heart, of his heart's desire. So that's a sign that we see of the wicked. They boast about the things that they want, the things that they desire. The wicked blesses the covetous and abhors God. Um, whom the Lord abhors. Sorry, God abhors. You know, he hates the covetousness. The wicked, through their pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. He is not in all his thoughts. And that's what we see when we're looking at Jesus speaking to his disciples. He's talking about a culture, a generation in this end time that is not looking at all for the coming of their Lord. They are consumed by the mundane, by the, the things of life that we have to go through. We have to do business. We have to have jobs. But in all their thoughts, God is not in them. That's the sign of a wicked generation. And so we have to look at that and like, are we that? Um, so we see a generation that is consumed with daily life and, and they're devoid of, of any real deep thoughts of Christ, right? Um, and Isaiah and all this is to establish that, yes, we are in the end times, by the way. Isaiah 3, 9, we see that the sin of Sodom is that they declare their sin. They no longer hide their sin. So as we look across at America, is America at this place that is like this in Isaiah 3, 9, where they're no longer hiding the sins of the people, but they're celebrating sin. Sodom celebrated their sins. And I'm telling you, it didn't start out that way. We see in Romans 1 that it's when you don't have God in your thoughts when you don't put God first, that he gives you over to the baser lusts. That wasn't the beginning. So sometimes it says, take heed lest we stumble. They didn't start out with this horrific sins that we see committed. In other places, it talks about, is Jerusalem being a sister city to Sodom? And it even says in one portion, they didn't fall into the same sexual sins, but they had no care for God. They had an idleness. They had bellies full of bread. These are the signs of Sodom. They had riches and did not give to the poor. That was the true sin of Sodom that started off the rest. But we like to focus on the one point because we can say here sitting in the house of God, we are not like those sinners. We can be the Pharisee and like, I'm not like that sinner on the street corner, right? But the true sin that started it all off was this self-righteous pride of not needing God. They were able to live in wealth and in plenty and they didn't hear the cries of the poor. They were filled with idleness, and they didn't care. They got to this place where they were consumed by life, so much to the point that they, God was not found in all of their thoughts. And that is a warning to us. That is a place that we can, as a Christian, slip into. Lot is a believer, and yet he slips into this. 
He's not like his wife who's an unbeliever. He's, he's, if you think you have the grace of God, so does Bob. You think you have divine revelation through the scripture, which we do. So did Lot. He had the messengers at his house. Did he believe in God? Yes. Just like we can believe in God. And yet he finds himself in a situation where he lingered on the threshold of destruction. And so we don't want to find ourselves there. Um, another sign that you are in the, under the judgment of God, Isaiah 3.9, where it talks about Sodom declares its sins. It, it no longer hides its sins. It holds parades for its sins. It has pride days and pride months. This is what happens when people forget about the holiness and the greatness of God is they magnify their sins and don't hide it anymore. A society will always have sin. We live in a fallen world, but when a society gets to this place where it's celebrating sin, we know we are under the judgment of God. And you see in Isaiah 3, it talks about what it looks like to be under the judgment of God. It talks about godly leaders become less and less in a country that's missing uh, this, this quality of, of seeking God. You see... It says in Isaiah 3, when it's talking about Sodom, that Jerusalem becomes a place where no valiant men are found, where the word of God isn't heard, where wisdom fails in a country or a city that has been ruled by women. That is signs that you're under a punishment of God. And I'm not saying anything against you ladies. I, we all have our rules to fill. I'm, I'm not trying to get into that topic at all. But that is a sign of the judgment of God is that strong Leaders, godly leaders fail, and you will be ruled by a woman. It's it's in Isaiah 3. You're welcome to read it. I know this is a hard message, and I'm going to try to rush through this, but I, I'm, I'm looking at my life and seeing all the things I needed to change in context of this, this study. Um, we are, I just want to say, we are in that last day. We are in the end times. Our country is under judgment, and yet the American church is lingering. When we need our voice to be the strongest, it's the quietest it's ever been. When we need men of character to stand up and say, this and this and this is right, and this and this and this is wrong, and clear-cut line. I'm not saying there's no one like that. There are. I've met some very godly people around here, and I've been all over the country preaching and teaching and sharing the gospel and working, and I've met godly people. But I'm saying as a whole, the nation is missing the certain quality of people willing to draw a line in the sand and say, I will declare this is what God has to say. This is what his scriptures say, and I will not take a backward step. And, and I'm just praying that we see that again in our churches and in this country. Um, as far as, I guess what really hurt my heart is I, went, I worked at the fair. Northwoods has a booth out there, and I watched all these young people just having fun, which is good, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But the level of debauchery there at the fair was shocking to me in a small town. We, it's easy to say, well, we aren't Detroit or we aren't Miami or we aren't this place, places I've, like, I've lived in Miami. And it's easy to see their sins and not see our own. But I saw kids walking around and it absolutely broke my heart with the t-shirts they were wearing at the fair. Uh, young girls is 12, 13 with shirts that said slut or orgasm donor. Are you kidding me? This is America. This was a place that was known for its righteousness. We see sin right there at the door, and it no longer touches our hearts. It no longer makes us grieve. And I'm not saying that we are actively sinning. I'm saying that we've become accustomed and immune to the sin that's around us, just like Lot did. 
But was Lot? Well, when we read the scriptures, we see that Lot was a believer. He had the same level of grace that we do. He loved God. He um, sat under the teachings of, he got to hear stuff from Abraham. Just like we have grace, he had grace. Just like we have salvation, he was saved from the wrath to come. Um, what does the text say about him? Well, we learn earlier on in, in uh, 19 that when Abraham and him separated because they were both growing so wealthy that they had to split in the plains because their herdsmen were fighting. Abraham shows this act of humility and he says, you choose. If you go to the right, I will go to the left. If you go to the left, I will go to the right. And Lot lifts up his eyes and he sees the plains near Sodom and he sees them for their riches, for their financial gain, for the wealth that it can bring him. And he chooses. We see no evidence in scripture that he sought God's counsel. We see no evidence that he cared about what God thought. All we see is that he moved and pitched his tent towards Sodom. And then the next time we see Lot, he's living in Sodom. It's a slippery slope. And it's great to have a great job. It's great to work. And we are supposed to work. If we don't work, we shouldn't eat, right? That's scriptural. But when we become consumed with what job or what college education or what spouse, these things aren't our first concern. Our first concern is how will it affect me? When I choose this job, will I have to work on Sundays? Will, I, will this job bring me to a place? Will this house that I'm buying bring me to a place where there's a, a church uh, that teaches the word within a close vicinity? If we're picking a spouse, young people, if you're picking a spouse, will that person lift you towards heaven or drag you towards hell? It doesn't matter if they're the best person in the world. Are they spiritually sound? Do they love Jesus? Do they care? These things are the slippery slope that bring us to this place of lingering. And you may be an on-fire Christian and you choose poorly in a job or a spouse or a or house or a location. And these things can drag you down to this place where you find yourself like Lot lingering on the brink of destruction. Not even realizing how you got there. Um, what were the reasons for his lingering? What's the root of the disease of lingering? We, we have to go to the root. We have to seek out the cause. What was it? Do you think he set out to do evil? Not at all. He just set out to live life and make a great time for his family, make a good place. Maybe he moved to the city for his own personal wealth, like went, moved from his tent outside of Sodom into the house in Sodom. Maybe he wanted to please his wife. Maybe she wanted to be close to the shopping. Maybe his daughters wanted friends. We don't know. Scripture is silent on that. But we do know that at one point he's pitched near Sodom, and the next time we see him, he's in the midst of Sodom. The reasons for our lingering can be many, but we have to examine ourselves to see what's the root cause that draws us, what's the thing that pulls us from the presence of Christ. What's the fruit of it? I realize I'm getting close to time, so um, I had like 13 pages I tried to wrap together in one. So I'll just kind of speed through this. What's the fruit of the, a lingering soul? Um, well, you may say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm born again. Who cares? I'm going to make it to heaven. That may be true. Grace may be upon you. And like Lot, you're pulled from the very fires and you make it to heaven because of the grace that is within you. And um, that is amazing that you make it. But what's the fruit of a life lived lingering? Well, I would say the fr fruit is we'll lose our 
authority that we would have had when we stand on the principles of Christ, when we speak up for the principles of Christ, we'll lose our believability. No one will take us seriously. Some of you can see the state of the world and you see what's coming. Some of you do. And yet when you speak to family, there's no authority left because what they had seen in past experience was a person that lingered. What they saw is one, a person, uh, families are best at this. And this brings me a lot of conviction. So don't take this just for you. I'm speaking this to me. But our families see us every day, how we truly are. They hear the things we say. They hear the things we preach. They hear this, this Christian conduct creed and us speaking it out. And then they see the way that we live. They, they see us preach one way. But are we, are we lingering? You see when Lot goes to war, he knows judgment's coming. He literally does, and he runs and he warns his son-in-laws. And they, to him, he was this one that mocked. Why is that? It's because he lived this life of lingering. They didn't take him serious in the matter of most importance. You see the judgment coming, you try to warn, and you aren't taken seriously because of the past that's lived. And I'm not saying this to bring conviction, I mean, condemnation. God brings conviction, which brings change, which brings peace, which brings hope. And a new attitude. And yes, you still have to make up for some of the stuff we've done in the past. And it will take time to re-earn trust and to get a voice back where we can speak with authority to those around us. But the devil brings condemnation and passivity and stagnation. So I'm not trying to say this to bring condemnation. I'm trying to say it to bring conviction that brings change. Um, last, I'll just say this. What was Lot? I will, I will really wrap this up as quick as I possibly can, but I don't want to leave you in this um, sad state. Um, so what was lost, uh, Lot? We see, well, I'll just say the signs of a lingering soul, is we're idle when we should be busy. A lingering soul says they believe in heaven, but they don't seem to long for it. A believing soul says they believe in hell, but they don't seem to fear it. They say they love Jesus, and they do, but their work is small. They do hate the devil, but they tempt him to come to them with their actions. They know that life is short, but they live like it is long. They know that they have a race to run, but they're sitting still. It's puzzling. It's baffling. It's as baffling as we see when Lot it lingers in the day, the morning of destruction. He lingers. It's just as baffling when your pastor or elders or peep saints who have been in the faith look at us and say, why? We, 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 it can be mind-boggling, just like it is with Lot, and we don't even realize that we're there. So I just pray that today we can see through all pretense and say, God, are we that person that lingers? Um, to be, I will say this, Lot was righteous. And if you, you know, some of us are winning at the game of life. Some, uh, Sodom was winning at the game of life. Lot was winning at the game of life. He had everything. He's playing the board game of life or, or the game of Monopoly, right? And he's sitting there. He's, he has all the Monopolies. He's winning all the pieces. He's growing in wealth, but he's playing the wrong game. He's playing for the temporal, and we are supposed to be playing for eternity. I'll close with 2 Peter 2, 7 and 8. If we didn't have that verse in the Bible, we would not know that Lot 
was a righteous man. But I say that Lot is more righteous than most of us, more righteous than I am for sure. Because we see the evidence. It says that he vexed himself day by day to see the unrighteousness. How many of us grow accustomed and immune to sin where we won't partake in it. But after a while, it quits grieving our heart. After a while, we see it and we're like become immune to the wickedness and we're just become apathetic. And we don't mourn and we don't share. We don't tell of the glorious redemption because we've just got in this place of stagnation. But Lot never got in that place. It said that every single day it grieved his heart to see the sin. And yet we never see him stand up and speak out against it. And we know he did it because when he did, no one took him serious. It's his own family. So the effects of a lingering soul is you don't have any influence with all of the city of Sodom. He didn't have influence. None of his people, his servants were even saved. And we see no evidence that any of his family was saved. His two daughters go on to commit sin. And they start the Ammonites and the Moabites who worship Chemosh and Moloch. Two demons that required child sacrifice. So there's this line. You see the fruits of his lingering affected. He made it. But the fruits was that his family did not get to hear the truth. Lot was righteous. We do know this because of 2 Peter 2, 7 through 8. He was grieved by the sin. He was shocked by the sin. He did not grow accustomed to it. A lot of us are shocked and, and we say, see the sin out there, but like that's not here. It can't affect us, except for most of us, it's in our living rooms. It's on Netflix. We see it's made into comedy until it no longer offends us. How do we change that? I will say he was a man covered with grace. He was to be a David in Saul's courts, to be a Daniel in Babylon or a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to be a saint in Nero's court, to be a Joseph in Potiphar's house, and to be a righteous man in the city of Sodom takes the grace of God. He had the grace of God, and yet he lingered. Some of you did, did well. You used to run the race with joy, and you've been sidelined. Some of you were injured along the race, and you haven't got back into it. And I just want to say this. I'm not preaching this message to bring you down. I'm preaching it to say that there's hope in God. As long as there's life, there's still hope. We see that the picture of Lot is one like a flickering flame. The Bible doesn't mention him after chapter 19, except in various passages to tell about his life. But it doesn't let us see the closing chapter. We see the death of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We see Jacob with his children flocked all around him. And he's handing out blessings. But the sad curtain is drawn across the life of Lot, where he just goes out like a flickering candle, extinguished. No mention. The curtain is drawn across the stage of the life he had. And don't let that be you. While there's still life, there is hope. I will say, when I was a kid, we'd play these board games, right? I, I said earlier, Lot won in the game of life, but he lost in the eternal game. When my mom would come when I was a kid, we didn't have TV, and she'd, we'd play these board games, Monopoly, and they take forever. And she's like, okay, you have five more minutes, then three more minutes. Guys, put it up, put it up. And it's getting you know late at night, and then she'd walk up to the board game. The game is done. That's how it will be in the perilous times, the end times. The game of life that you are playing 
it's over. And all you have left is the works done in the flesh. Did you live for God? Did you make a difference or did you live for riches? Did you live for yourself? Were you righteous and did all the right things and never had these big sins, but you just lived for yourself? Or did you live for God? The game is closed. Life has ended. What did we choose? Well, I'm just saying, don't be a linger who spends his life trying to make the gate more wide or the cross light. Seek Christ. Seek Christ with what you, the time we have left. Share the gospel. Share the glorious hope. So I'm just going to pray. I had so much more to share that I had to skip. But um, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this church. Thank you that there's people that love you. God, examine my heart. Examine our hearts. God, I pray that in areas where we linger, in areas that we have stagnated, in areas where we haven't spoken out for truth, where we haven't partaken in the sin so we feel self-satisfied, we know that we aren't Lot's wife. We know that we're the redeemed. We know that we love you, and yet we don't act it. God, I pray that you change that in us. Let us become lamps that are set on a hill without a bushel covering us. Let us be the salt that has saltiness and haven't lost its savor. God, I feel like you're saying that there's people that did run well but have been wounded, whether it's through church division, whether it's through family, whether it's through a leader you trusted. God is saying you will never have peace. As long as you blame your circumstances on something else, you will never have that peace run. You cannot have peace until you take back up the race, running to the arms of Abba Father, who can heal that. We can't say, my kid no longer goes to church because of this leader or because of that reason. They watched our lives. They saw our responses. Now, God, we know that not ever, even, guys, I just want to share this. I feel like I have to in the middle of this prayer. I'm not saying that everything will go well if you do all the right things, if you make it. But Jesus preached and not everyone heard. Noah preached and no one got converted. So I'm not bringing condemnation. I'm saying just examine ourselves. Are we the cause of someone else's stumbling? They may not make it anyway, but we don't want to be that offense to them. So Heavenly Father, we just ask and we beg that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. You fill us with the power to walk in your ways that we turn from condemnation into the glorious light and the grace that you offer freely that you've given on the cross. I pray that we aren't ones that just make it into the gate of salvation where we meet Christ, but that we run the whole race, that we can say with Paul, that I've run the race set before me, I've done the things that you required of me, and we can reach out and take the crown of life that we get to heaven. God, let us get to our deathbed and be able to look up like Stephen and see you in all your glory. And not have a deathbed of fear, not knowing because of the life we lived. I just ask for that, God. I ask for your people to be blessed today. I pray that you give them the strength to follow you. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.